You know, uh, we're not in 1 Timothy. I know we've been going through 1 Timothy, and we've had a couple topical messages lately, but we'll get back to 1 Timothy, uh, Lord willing, you know, next week. I want to do another topical message on uh, discipleship. And it was interesting because Gerald and I and the worship team hadn't talked about, you know, the songs they do and so forth. But Gerald, when he prayed, he prayed that we would be daily disciples, you know. Those were his exact words, that we'd be daily disciples. And I thought, wow, you know, amen, Lord. That's been my heart's cry uh, for you uh, today. And my prayer for you often is that we would be, you know, true uh, disciples, daily disciples. Not, you know, Keith Green used to sing a song, you know. You know, and he'd sing in the person of the Father, you know. And it's pretty strong lyrics, you know. If you can only, if you can only come to me Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, if don't bother coming at all. Those are like some pretty strong words, right? And that's one thing I loved about Keith Green's music and still do is that uh, there's no frills. It was just, you know, there was a lot of songs uh, that were just, you know, right to the heart, calling you out, saying, hey, are you just showing up on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but you're not really living for him? And it came out of a passion that Keith had for Jesus, but also came in out of a passion he had for people to know Jesus and be real with him, amen? And as Keith Green, if you look at his songs, a lot of them were so strong. But as his songs progressed, he began to understand grace more as well. And you see a lot more him, him, him just rejoicing in God's grace, coming to terms with his own weaknesses as a human being and so forth. But he, he never lost that fervor uh, for holiness in a lot of his music. And, uh, and I praise God because I gravitate toward uh, music that is all about Jesus. I gravitate toward people that are all about Jesus. I gravitate to Jesus, and that's why I gravitate toward that type of music and those type of folks, and I'm at home with them. The psalmist said, I'm a companion with all those who fear you. And I found out that the best friends, the best companions, the safest people, the best people, most wonderful people around are to be around are people that fear the Lord and love Jesus. Amen. Uh, and praise God. I pray that this fellowship is filled with people that love the Lord with their whole heart, soul, strength, and all their mind, neighbors as themselves, and, and fear the Lord truly and are true disciples. Uh, because we know on Judgment Day there will be countless people that will be shocked. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For many will come to me on that day who will say, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and all these wonderful things? They'll say to them, Jesus went on to say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You did not do the will of the Father. And it's really interesting when you look at that text because these are folks that are doing a lot of things. There's a lot of, lot of you know, things going on in their ministries. Casting out demons, apparently. At least they claim to be. Prophesying, doing miracles in his name. And on Judgment Day, they're stupefied. They're dumbfounded. They're shocked that their sentence, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Why? How does that happen? Because he said, you workers of lawlessness, you did not do the will of the Father. In other words, they were doing their own will and not God's will. They were playing church. They were dressing up Christianity, you know, on Sunday mornings, perhaps. Who knows how often. They were involved in some ministry, it looks like, but they were living for themselves. They had not come to the point where they were heartbroken because of their sin before the Lord and said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And it's imperative that we are daily disciples as Gerald prayed. And those were his exact words. I said, praise God, Gerald. That's exactly what's my, on my heart. And the Holy Spirit probably dropped that in your heart during your prayer. Because the name of my, message, my name of my message is, are you a true disciple? And a true disciple is a daily disciple. Doesn't mean you won't fall short. Doesn't mean you will not uh, go through hard times. Doesn't mean you'll be sinless. But it does mean that you are in the straight and narrow road. And you're seeking the will of the Father. Amen that you're living for the Lord rather than yourself. 
means that you're taking up your cross daily. How often did Jesus say we're supposed to take up our cross? Did he say, take up your cross on Sunday mornings and then on Wednesday night? And you, everything's cool. Is that what he said? No, he said, daily and follow me. We have to make sure we're real. So this is about being a true disciple. And in Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, uh, you can go there, please, and go to verse 25. Because there's a lot of scriptures we could look at on discipleship, but I want to hone in on what Jesus is recorded uh, to have said by Luke, because, man, you talk about a passage on what it means to be a disciple. This is the passage par excellence right here in Luke chapter uh, 14. And Jesus is calling them to be true disciples. And it says in verse 25, now large crowds were going along with him. Now he could have said, man, I have large crowds. I do not want to blow this and have a lot of people leave me because look at the following I have. It's huge. So I'm only going to say words that are palatable. I'm going to be seeker sensitive. I'm going to make sure that I don't really you know, strike anybody in an odd way and make this as easy as possible for them to continue to want to follow me. So I'm not going to say anything that would really challenge them so I could continue to have this big following. That's not how we approach this at all. In fact, what we see throughout Jesus' ministry is he, more than once, on several occasions actually, he basically sifted the multitudes. He would give them hard sayings, we read in John chapter 6. And after he gave them a hard saying, it says in John 6, that many of his disciples, chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples followed him no longer. They looked at Peter and said, Peter, will you too go away? And Peter said, Lord, where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter saw what mattered most. Peter sought the will of the Father. Amen? So it's really amazing when you look at this because as Christians, we ought to really hone in on this. I don't know about you, but when I see a passage like Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, where many are saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus said in another place, why do you call me Lord and not obey the things I say? Jesus was not interested in having huge crowds say his name insincerely or because he fed the multitudes. He was interested in people being true disciples, truly seeking the Father. For the scriptures tell us to seek first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, right? That's a command. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or he'll hate the one and love the other. You're going to hear a lot about what Jesus said tonight, and that's how it ought to be. I'm really against giving one or two verses out and then telling a bunch of stories. I don't think there's a lot of growth in that. I think the growth comes from the powerful Word of God. Amen? I was driving with my mom today. You know, She's going to be with us the next 10 days, which is just beautiful. At least I've been looking forward to this. And, and I was looking at the hills as we're driving toward the hills, and I said, hey, man, look how those hills, believe it or not, two weeks ago were still green. On this side of Simi Valley, you know, the, the south side. And I go, they were still green. They were green for six months. I go, when do we see that, Mom? Green hills that long, you know? Well, she's living in Idaho, you know? So it's green. Well, it's actually not green there, right? We actually got more green than them, I think, this time of year. They'll get green later in the summer, though, as the fall approaches. But I said, you know, and we're looking at the hills, and I said, you know what? The scriptures talk about how the flowers wither, but the word of God endures forever. And I went just sharing with her. And she said something right after that that really hit me, which I'll share with you in a minute, which has really fit into my message, actually. That's interesting she said that. And she mentions it every once in a while because it's a story that really impacted her. But it's interesting because we want to make sure we're in the will of God, and we want to make sure we're in the Word of God. Amen? How can we be in the will of God if we don't know what the Word of God says? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that the Word of God works effectually in the hearts of those who believe. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? It penetrates our hearts. And so Jesus is calling them, and he says in verse 26, if anyone comes, now we'll go back to the text, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. 
And now it's pretty, pretty amazing. He's saying we've got to hate all these family members to be his disciple. And a lot of people debate what he meant there. We know uh, a lot of times there's Hebrew idioms, expressions, that are meant to get your attention, but not to be taken sp- literally. For instance, if you heard Pastor Joe hates his wife, he actually, if you go to his house, he's actually got a dartboard with her face on it, and he's got this big dummy in her, a replica of her, and he boxes it when he's angry. That would be pretty messed up, right? I love my wife. You know me, my wife and I. She's easy, pretty easy to love, by the way. But you know what? That would be messed up, and it would be unbiblical. And if I study the scriptures and say, hey, look, I'm supposed to hate all my family members, man. I'm following Jesus. I'm a real disciple. You'd say, Joe, you're what? Taking that what? Out of context. Too literally. Amen. How, do, how can you prove that? Because the Bible very clearly in Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Well, what's Jesus saying here? Well, I like the way he put it in Matthew chapter 10. And in chapter 10, he says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. You know what else he said there? A man's foes, I'm quoting the King James, but a man's enemies, same thing, shall be they of their own household. Mother against daughter and mother against daughter-in-law. And he goes on to say, in verse 37, he who loves father, now it's loves, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not what? worthy of me. Isn't that amazing? So he's not saying literally hate your wife and hate your your family members, but he's saying you cannot love them more than him or you can't be his disciple. And we got to be really, we got to say, okay, am I loving them first? Am I really a disciple? I don't want to hear those words depart from me. I want to make sure I'm truly following Christ. And by the way, if you truly love your family, you'll want to love Jesus first. You know why? Because if I don't love Jesus first and I put my family first, I'm not going to be much much of a blessing to them spiritually. I'm not going to really be pointing them to Jesus. That's not going to be the best opportunity for them to know Christ, is it? Because I wouldn't be a good witness. I'd be an idolater. But if I love Jesus first and I'm a signpost that says he's the way and they see that I sincerely put him first in my life over any man or any person, then they're going to take notice and it's going to be a far greater opportunity and a far greater witness that points them to Jesus and leads them to Jesus than if I put them before Jesus. Amen? And when I was a new Christian, I was a Christian just for months and I thought the Lord delivered me, my wife, quickly. I didn't know any Christians I was the only Christian I knew. No one led me to Christ. I came to Jesus. I was just right around the time I turned 18 years old. And I thought I was seeking him. God bless you, brother. I was following him. I was doing his will. I was witnessing to people, you know, seeking to lead people to Christ. And, man, I met a gal in a band when I was there to be a witness in a light, a garage band here in Simi Valley. Beautiful gal. Uh, man, and she's like, took, you know, I'm the one guy not getting drunk there. And she's a lead singer. And all of a sudden, man, we just hit it off. We started talking. Man, before you knew it, you know, I was showing her a little presentation. They sold their souls for rock and roll before. It was called that Out of a Box. They hadn't shown any churches yet. And she's like, I'm dropping out of my band. I want to follow the Lord, man. And I love your name, Joe. No, I didn't get it. I'm thinking, Joe, that's just such a kind of a normal blase kind of name. It's not the coolest name in the world. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I tell you that because it's kind of funny what happened later. We go horseback riding, riding literally into the sunset up in the Simi Hills. This beautiful gal, five foot nine blonde girl, like she walked out of a magazine, you know. I'm like, okay, wow, God, you're good. I'm your servant. I turn to you, and you're already blessing me, and I'm going to get married and have a family with this gal. And we saw each other for almost probably half a year or so, and we're praying together, talking together. But I found a church. I invited the church. She came like once or twice. And, but she was like, no, I need to go back. I need to make sure I'm right with God, but I need to go back to my old church, the Mormon church. No wonder she liked my name, Joe, Joseph Smith. <laughs> then I'm like, oh, man, it's starting to dawn on me what's going on here. And she told me she had a dream about the pastor. He's from the devil at the church I, I went to. And, uh, and then she was told that if... You listen to anything someone says against the Christian faith, that's the devil using them. I spent a lot of money researching Mormonism. 
I was already researching Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses before I even met her. And I bought hundreds of dollars worth of Deseret book, bookstore, Mormon bookstore in the valley, Journal of Discourses. I've had ex-Mormons for Jesus call me and say, can I get your Journal of Discourses? Several volumes long out. Maybe they've been reprinted again since. I'm like, no, man, I use these when I witness to Mormons. But I got all this material together. But I knew from this passage and from Jesus' teaching that I couldn't put her before him. And I told her, I have all this information I want to share with you. Because we'd talk about it, but it wouldn't go very far. She wasn't super open. But we had a great relationship, it seemed. Uh, she's the only Christian I know, but she's not really a Christian, I find out. And then I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm going to show her all this stuff. And if she sees all this stuff and refuses to turn away from Mormonism to Jesus alone, man, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, I'm going to have to say, we can't be together. And I told the Lord, if she refuses to see it, I'm going to have to say it's like she saw it and said no. And and because I noticed, I went over to her house and the lady she was living with, she was renting a room, and there was a couple Mormon girls there, you know, and they're sitting down talking to her. And they're, you know, catching up. And I could kind of see them glance over at me. I'm like, I like, I'm like the leper man or something now, you know, who knows what they're saying. And I let her know, I said, you know, if you don't look at it, she goes, I can't look at it, you know. And I said, hey, I, I care very deeply about you. Our relationship is being severed, not because of how we feel about each other, but because I have to put Christ first in my life. And I remember going home. I remember being, you know, I'm like 18 and a half at that time or something but crying like a little baby on the linoleum floor. It was a cold, hard floor. Just like, oh, Lord, you know, I thought this was from you. What is going on? It's like giving up Isaac, you know, for Abraham. But I have to do this. Jesus has to be first in my life. I have to, I, I, I didn't even think like, well, maybe. And then the phone rings. <sighs> okay, I'm, 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 a, I'm a stud, not a crier. What's going on? Because it's her. And she's like, and she was a super neat girl, you know, really a, really a neat girl, just lost, you know, didn't know the true Jesus. And she goes, can't we just hang out together every day still and be best friends still, you know, just be friends? Yeah, we could do that. We could just be friends. No, you can't. Not in that context. Went to the beach together. I'm like, you know, there's these strapping Mormon boys come up and say hi to her. And I can't even be the jealous boyfriend now because he's not my girlfriend. They're talking for a little bit. I'm like, Lord, this isn't going to work. We drove back and we talked about it. I, I just said, you know, this is just not going to work, you know, because our feelings are too strong and we can't just be friends like that. But that was an early time in my walk where the Lord was testing my discipleship. And you may be in a relationship with someone or be open to a relationship with someone who's not a believer. You cannot proceed in a relationship I'm not talking about if you're married. If you're married to a non-believer, the Bible says basically they're your mission field, you know. Don't leave them because you can win them to Christ, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, amen. But if you're not married, the Bible warns us not to be unevenly yoked to non-believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, do we not have the right like Peter to take a believing wife? You could take a believer as a spouse, make sure they're a genuine believer, just because someone says, well, I believe in Jesus. What do they follow him? follow him? The Bible says that demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. James chapter 2. You want to make sure they're truly following Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to marry someone who may want, not want anything to do with your Jesus, the true Jesus, and not want anything to do with bringing your children up in Jesus. So you have to be very careful here. Amen? And the Lord says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you can marry whoever you want, whoever you wish, in the Lord if they're in Christ. So I had to make a decision. And I can honestly say it wasn't like I deliberated for even a second about should I do it or not. No, I said right away, Lord, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I belong to you. You're my savior. You're my ultimate, you are the ultimate reality for me. Everything else is a lie if I don't live according to your word. And I had to count the cost and that severed that relationship. Sometime later, the Lord gave me the wife that was really to be my wife, my beautiful wife, Lisa. 
And she opens up my wallet because we're just barely seeing each other. And she says, you have a picture of my sister's best friend in your wallet. Well, because she was the matron of honor at Lisa's sister's wedding, you know. And I go, I didn't know that, you know. Still had the picture there, right, you know. I got rid of the picture. Lisa didn't get upset. She's laughing. She goes, that was, you know, she said her name and everything. And, and, uh, and I go, yeah, you were seeing each other for a while ago. But, and I didn't see anything, anyone between that girl and Lisa for three years. I was young. I don't know how long it was. It was three years or something like that, maybe four. Because I was like, Lord, I want to make sure it's right. I, I went too quick. I thought, you, I thought that was from you, but it was like an angel of light for me, you know. And I waited and I prayed, your will be done, Lord, at the right time. And when you're single, you don't have to rush things, man. You say, Lord, your will be done, but be sold out to him. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, that all these things will be added to you in time. Amen. If it be his will. And it's interesting because the Lord blesses you when you put him first. Don't put a man, don't put a woman, don't put a young man, or don't put a young woman before Jesus. Make sure whoever you're seeing is serious about the Lord. And make sure you're serious about the Lord. Amen? Now it's interesting because Jesus promises that he'll bless us. So it's interesting, you might get cut off from your entire family. We don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to keep talking about Jesus, we want nothing to do with you. But you need to still put him first, amen? You have to do that. Otherwise, you're not worthy of him. You can't be his disciple, truly. In fact, listen to what Jesus said, this promise. I love what he said here for those who follow him, though. Because actually, you get a big family instead of the one that rejects you. And this is in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much. And I love this. He doesn't say a hundred times as much in the future. He says that too. But he says a hundred times as much now, in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, okay, and children and farms, along with persecutions, and the world to come, eternal life. Wow. Isn't that powerful? You know, and I was like, wow, Lord, you blessed me with this amazing wife. I waited, and she's been the perfect woman for me, perfect wife for me. Now, don't miss, you know, construe that. I didn't say she's, I, the, she's perfect, but she's the perfect wife for me, you know. She's amazing. And, uh, you know, if I just think about her not being here sometimes, I go to tears because she's so beautiful to me and such a blessing. And I know the Lord put her in ministry, and it's just amazing, you know because she's beautiful inside and out to me. And it's interesting because she, the Lord gave me that. But notice what he said. He'll give you all these things, and eternal life, life to come. But he said, and he threw in, and persecutions. I love that. <laughs> I mean, you don't just think it's all rosy. You're going to go through some hard times, amen? As genuine believers, we'll talk about that in a little bit in the context of discipleship. But it's amazing how he blesses you. Because guess what you have around you right now? You might have been rejected from a family of 3, 4, 10, 12, But guess what you have around you? I mean, you got believers all around this room that just love each other, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And we're there for each other. And we go to each other's homes. You know, I tell people when they're at my house, and, you know, oh, can I get... I go, hey, man, get something from the refrigerator. And I say things like, you can have something from the refrigerator whenever you want. Just come in here. Don't have to ask me. It's, it's there for you. We're there for each other. Amen? Now, it's interesting because my mom said something very interesting. That's what I was thinking about, too. We were driving. She said, she goes, you know what? I remember when I was a nurse, and she was a nurse for quite a, quite a while. And uh, she said, and one of the other nurses said to her, was it another nurse that said, she said to her, she goes, you know, because my mom was talking about what she does on Sundays. She says, I have the family over. And when she says she has the family over, she's talking about five kids with their five spouses, with all the, her grandkids. And sometimes that would be 35, 40 people, 45 people, 50 even sometimes, because of friends from the church. In a two-condo 
two-bedroom condo. Okay, some people are going out to the little patio, and the patio wasn't very big, to play dominoes or whatever. Different people. And you know what's crazy? That went on for years and years and years and years until she moved to Idaho a few years back, which ruined everything. No, just kidding, Mom. It didn't. <laughs> no, it's still beautiful. In fact, we, we you know, uh, distance, you know, makes the heart grow fine. So we look forward to seeing her when she's been gone for a little bit. And some of the family that moved up there, they have the blessed hope, like here, live stream over there, which, you know, they, they tuned into the live streams. But now they have Nick pastoring there, you know, who grew up here from, how old was Nick when you first started coming, Aileen? Six years old, right? And then now he's a pastor, right? It's just awesome. And, uh, and that's because Aileen put Jesus first in her life and was no holds bar, all Jesus. And then her kids, you know, all of them love the Lord, you know? Nick and, 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 and Chris and, you know, Emily. And, and uh, let me get them all right, right? Tommy. Tommy, of course. Where's Tommy? He's probably upstairs ministering, right? And little Todd. No, there's no little Todd. Everybody's like, who's Todd? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to throw that in there, Aileen. You know, just but four awesome kids because she put Jesus first. And my, my mom, she goes, how many people go? What, you know, you have this situation at your house where all those people, all your kids come over Sunday? She goes, yeah, them and their spouses and their kids. And, and I don't know, we had like 35 people there often. And she'd be like, man, how does that happen? How does that happen? I, I'm, I'm happy if just... I, you know, even my own daughters, just my, my daughters don't even get along and won't even talk to each other. How does that happen? And my mom used to share this story with me and she'd say, and, and Joe, praise God, you know, that, uh, that you witnessed to us and you led us to Jesus. But I always say, no, <laughs> I will praise God, but it's the Lord God is Jesus. And she knows that. I go, it's Jesus that, that did this, you know. He, glory be to God because he's the one that's changed our lives and so forth. And and she would say, yes, amen, Jesus, amen. I'm thank thankfully, you guys, you witnessed this stuff to us. But, but she'd give glory to Jesus. Now when she says it, like today, she goes, and you know what? You know who it, what, how, all that's happening? And all that happened because of Jesus. Praise you, Lord. You know? She gives glory to God. Amen. And he's the key, guys. Because we put him first and we are his disciples, we're able to turn more people to him. And you know what? I can honestly say, in I don't know how long that happened. That happened for like 30 years or something, you know? Uh, longer than thir 35 years at that house before they moved, you know, to, to Idaho or whatever. And it was every day, you know. Jesse, it's good to see you. I was just teasing about Idaho. We love you guys. Idaho's awesome. He's got a cute kid, huh? He is really super cute. Uh, and uh, she's visited us too. But it's amazing, guys, because in those, I don't know, 35 years, 40 years, whatever it was, there was hardly any arguing, hardly any fighting. If there was a disagreement and it got sharp, it was really, really, really rare. How does that happen, Jesus? I mean, that's the Lord. That's what Jesus does. I mean, you're coming from, I could tell you right now, I told my mom, I go, you know what, mom? I, you know, if, if we didn't know Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus, we all wouldn't be you know, I had lunch with her and my, my wife, and I was like, I got to juggle today because I had something I had to be in the church, to, a podcast I did today. Uh, and, uh, and then I had to be back for this, and I had to get my message done. I had to juggle, but my mom had just come in, and, you know, all this stuff was, and, you know, some guy was delivering an appliance all the, earlier in the day. I had to be up early, get the garage ready. So I was like, Lord, how am I going to swing all this, you know? And it's interesting because he works it all out, you know? But I, was, but I said, I'm going to get together with lunch. It's her first day in, and and Kathy joined us, and Lisa, and I was like, and I told her, I, you know, this wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't be having lunch today if it wasn't for Jesus. I said, because all the kids are so different, you know. And if I, if I went through each kid and the problems that we had at different times when we, before we knew Jesus, it was pretty messed up. We wouldn't be on the same page. We'd all be all over the place. But now we all love Jesus, and the interesting thing is the hundred houses and homes and all that, it's not just my own immediate family who's come to Christ that's been part of that. But I feel such a camaraderie with my other brothers and sisters in Christ who sincerely fear the Lord and love him that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is precious, man. And we have good friends that you'd never have. Because my dad was a lone holdout. 
up until like 90 years old or so, when he finally began to confess Christ and it became stronger and stronger before he died at the age of, I believe, 92. But he was a holdout for a long time. But we weren't getting drunk at the house together. People start drinking together, they start fighting eventually, and friendships end up breaking. Because that's what alcohol will do to people that are inebriated by it, you know. But we had the Holy Spirit, and we do now. But in, those, in that household, so many people love Jesus. He makes all the difference. And you don't see that go on, but by the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens in this fellowship as well. We're, this is the family. And you know what? Before I was hanging out with, I always hang out with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But before my mom and my all three sisters and my brother, and we were all, before we were all converted, when I was the only Christian, you can ask them. I didn't hang out with them much. I witnessed to them. Sometimes it got loud because I was, you know, a Jesus freak, you know. But I continued to tell them about Jesus, man. I'm going to continue to tell you about the Lord. I don't care if you raise your voice. I remember that early on, it's like I raised my back a little bit. You need to turn it. I'm like, oh, I better go pray because I don't want to be like the household is because our household was arguing all the time. I mean, Peggy chasing us with a butcher knife. Kathy and I was just talking about that, man. You know, that she, she goes, do you remember she pulled out the butcher knife? Do you remember? I go, yeah, I remember that. I think I was the main guy she'd chase. That's why I could run so fast for a big guy, you know? She was, you know, tr truly, you know. It's not like she did it every week, but she did, you know. <laughs> Enough to just put the fear of Peggy in you, you know, I'm fearing the wrong person. So I came to Jesus. I remember one time, everybody have, remember beanbags, you those are older folks? I was sitting on a beanbag, and she grabbed my both sides of my hair like a pit bull. And just, I didn't see her coming. She was older than me. And when girls, they're mature, the same rate as the guys before puberty hits. And she was a bit bigger than me too. And she shook my head like a pit bull, but she knew she'd better run. And she took off. I got up and I was crying. I'm like, how did she do that? I was, I, that was summertime, man. I was bald headed, you know, she, you know, the head crew cut. I'm like, how did she even get that hair there? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm sure I deserved it. Okay. I was, I was a bad guy before I knew Jesus. And that didn't change until I came to Jesus. But you know what? That, that house was not a good house. We were probably one of the loudest houses. I say the loudest, but I'll say one of the loudest houses. So there's some other loud houses on the block. But we came to Jesus, man, everything changed. He changes everything. So the best way for you to be blessed is to put him first. The best way, the only way you can be a disciple is to put Jesus first. And if you're like, well, that could hurt my family. Well, guess what? Your family, because those who I did hang out with were, were believers. And when I found Christians and people that feared and loved Jesus, man, I realized those, that's my family. That's my family. And then when my physical family members, biological family members, came to Christ one by one, now they're part of my spiritual family. And how beautiful is this, man? Those I grew up with now love and serve Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So put the Lord first no matter what. Amen? And, and trust him. Well, what if my family members don't ever come to Jesus? Well, guess what? Your family members already know Jesus because your main family members are Christians. Amen? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what if your natural biological family members don't? Your heart should break for them. You should pray for them. Amen? But praise God, you can trust the Lord because he's just. He doesn't will that they perish. Amen. Holy Spirit seeks to convict them and draw them to himself. But they have a choice in the end. Amen. And you can have peace in knowing that God is not partial. Amen. But be the best example you could be and just keep your eyes on Jesus. But we must put Jesus first. But he said, when we put him first, we'll be blessed with other family members and homes. If we get rejected, we still have more family members than we'd ever have if we hadn't come to Christ. But he also said, with that, persecutions. And Jesus said in John 5, 15, listen to this, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world crucified our Savior. Amen? If they crucified him who was perfect and only loved them, how much more, he says, if they persecuted me, the master, are they going to persecute you? That's part of the deal. You're going to be persecuted as a Christian because people hate Christ. They hate Jesus. And Jesus said, or Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, verse 12, all those, all those, that means you, who live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer what? Persecution. Well, wait a minute, Joe. I've been a Christian for years. I've never been persecuted at all. Then you've got to start wondering if you're living godly in Christ Jesus. Because if you're letting your light shine, and you're living godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Maybe you're not letting the, getting the salt out of the shaker. Maybe you're not letting the light shine. And he went on to say right after that, and evil men will proceed from bad to worse. Right after that. I mean, it's going to get worse in the end of days, which we're seeing. Amen? And in Matthew 10, verse 24, listen to what Jesus said. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house, that is Jesus, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, the devil, how much more the members of his household? There it is again. There's twice Jesus says, how much more will we get persecuted? If he's persecuted, how much more are his disciples going to be persecuted? So we shouldn't be freaking out when we get persecuted. We say, you know, Jesus said this would happen. He said the gospel would go throughout the world. Has that happened? It's happening right now, amen? And he said his disciples would be persecuted. His name's a cuss word, guys. The most popular cuss word, probably one of the most popular cuss words in the country. Now, the very next verse, at, or verse 26 I think it's amazing. Uh, well, verse 26, the end of it says, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So you must hate even your own life. Not, even, not just put your, the Lord before your family, but you have to put Jesus before your own life to be a true disciple. And remember, we want to be true disciples, amen? We don't want to hear, depart from me. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord, Amen. So that means we must hate our own lives. Jesus said, if you save your life, in chapter 9 of Luke, if you love your life, or you save your life, you'll what? You'll what? Lose it. If you lose your life, you'll what? Save it. If I say, no, I'm not living my old life. I'm living for Jesus. Then you'll be saved through Jesus. And I love it because... He says he must hate even his own life or else he cannot be my disciple. Paul said, remember Paul said last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of what? Self. But these are the folks that have a form, it says in verse 5, a few verses later, they'll have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So in other words, there's a lot of people in churches have a form of godliness. They go to church Sunday. They go to church Wednesday. They look like they're Christians and stuff. But guess what? They're lovers of their own selves before God. He goes on as he says things like they love pleasures more than God. So they don't lift a finger to be a witness. They don't lift a finger to help others to, to bring glory to God. They live for themselves. Don't let that be you. I love what Paul said in Acts 20, 24. He said, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I love that. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course. You cannot finish the race that's set before you if you're focused on yourself. You'll stumble. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says to set your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith. Amen? who for the joy set before him endured the cross and the hostility of men that was against him, and that you have not yet shed blood in resisting sin. I mean, he was crucified, but you haven't been killed. He's writing to living believers, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus, he says. If you get focused on yourself, that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get your eyes on yourself and make it all about you to where you put yourself before God. You have to hate your own life in this world. In fact, Paul knew this. That's why he said he didn't consider his own life dear to himself so he could finish his race. When he's talking about that race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I beat my body down so after I preached to others, I myself would not be a castaway, disqualified, rejected. They're all, those are all these words that are describing the Greek word adakamas, which means to be approved. He says, I fight the good fight, man. I lay hold on eternal life. 
1 Timothy chapter 6. So he didn't focus on his own life. John says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and then what? And they loved not their own lives, even to the point of death. They were denying themselves, their own lives. Let's go to verse 27 now. Back to Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not carry his cross, his own cross, and come after me cannot what? Be my disciple. He's talking about what it means to be a disciple. Are you truly a disciple? He says, anyone who does not carry his own cross cannot be my disciple. His own cross. You can't carry his cross. Only Jesus could carry his cross. Amen. He's the only one that could carry his cross. His cross was to actually go to Golgotha, Mount Calvary, and be slaughtered on the cross to pay for our sins. You could never do that. I could never do that for the sins of people because he's a sinless son of God. But you have to carry your own cross. And that's a vivid, 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 vivid picture in those days. It's not this, you know, oh, that's kind of interesting. No, this is serious. Because the cross was execution, man. It meant total death. It was the most horrible way to be executed. And you know, I won't describe it in any detail because i got to move on to other passages. But it was incredibly excruciating. In fact, excruciating, the word excruce comes from crux. In the word excruciating, the word comes from crucifixion. Do you know that? The word excruciating, incredibly painful, comes from the word crucified. excruciating. And Jesus went through excruciating pain. But guess what? Jesus was not the only one who died on the cross. Thousands of Jews were put on crosses and crucified. It was such a horrific way to die that it was illegal for the Romans to crucify another Roman citizen. When they executed Roman citizens, they cut their heads off with a sword, typically. But he was crucified. So you would see crosses here and there, on special days, of criminals who'd been crucified because they disobeyed the state of Rome. And yet something you did not want to happen to you. But only Jesus died and not only bore the wrath of man, but he bore the wrath of God to pay for our sins. Only Jesus died in that way, amen? So when, when he says you must take off your... You can't be his disciple unless you take up his cross, they got their attention, we wear crosses around, a lot of us. I think that's great, by the way. I think that's fine. Because Paul says we glory in the cross, right? What Jesus did for us. It's a powerful symbol. But it's interesting. We don't realize how horrific that would look in the first century. The Romans didn't even like, wouldn't let you use the symbol. You in these catacombs, which I visited the catacombs in Rome, because so many of the Christians would not burn their dead after they died like the Romans did. They dug all these tunnels under Rome to bury their dead, and they wanted to put crosses, but it was illegal. So sometimes they would make, you know, uh, symbols out of, out of ships or fish or what have you with a cross embedded in it. I've also seen tombs in, in the Jewish court in, the, in, in ancient Israel in the first century with crosses and to him who ascended, meaning Jesus, in the first century. Amazing. But you know what? When they saw the cross, it'd be like walking around where people are getting electrocuted to death with walking around with a chain with a little electric chair on it. Can you imagine walking around? What's that? It's an electric chair. You know what? I think that might be a good idea. Uh, that'd be pretty cool, right? Get a little electric, little electric chair that doesn't really work, right? Just so people ask questions. What is that? It's an electric chair. Why are you wearing an electric chair? Well, actually, on the other side of it, it's a cross because it's the cross of today in a way. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. He was executed. We deserve it. Somebody want to maybe come up with the electric chair with a cross on their side so you witness? That might work. I'll buy one if you keep it under 20 bucks, you know? <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud. You know, that'd be pretty cool, actually. Good, good witness. But it was a big deal to take your cross. And what, what does it mean for us to take up our cross? He's not talking about literally physically dying, is he? Well, you might have to literally die. It means to put his will before your own will. Jesus, before he went to the cross, what did he pray? Not my will, but what? Your will be done. It means putting his purpose for your life over your own dreams, over your own aspirations, over what you think that would be the best for your life 
and shelving what he says is best for your life. You say, no, not my. Jesus said, before he went to the cross, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Amen? That's how you take up your cross. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, nobody can be my, my disciple unless what? He denies himself, takes up his cross daily, and follows me. Amen? So what does it mean to take up your cross? To deny yourself. You're now following the straight and narrow road, and you're putting Christ first. This message is so important because we do not want to be among those who, says, who say, Lord, Lord, he says, I never knew you. We don't want to be among those where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not obey what I say? We want to be true disciples, true Christians. Oh, what, but, but I heard, you know, Greg, Laura, I heard this person, I heard that person say, it's, you know, you can be a Christian, a believer in Jesus and be saved, but you don't have to be a disciple. You can decide that later, but if you don't, you're still saved. That's not biblical, man. When Jesus says, if you save your life, you'll what? Lose it. And if you lose it, you'll what? Save it. He's talking about salvation there. Okay? And very few scholars actually believe what I just, what some are teaching today. It hasn't been taught in the church for 2,000 years until more recently. And it's deceiving a lot of people. We need to take up our crosses daily and follow Christ to be true disciples. Amen? And by the way, in fairness to Greg Laurie, although I know he's got other things going on too, so I'm not endorsing him, but the old, I've heard him when I'm driving down the road, I'm like, oh, years ago, I don't listen to him now personally, but I heard him on First John or something, and he'll talk about how you really need to make sure you're living a holy life, and if you're born again, you should be living a holy life, and if you're not living a holy life, he'd say you're not really born again maybe then. So I've heard him say those things too, so he's kind of said, you know, you can't have it both ways though, you know? You can't, and some are teaching today, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but you can reject him as your Lord. You could be a Christian, but you don't have to be a disciple or a follower of Christ. It's not negotiable. And because I'm a pastor, I have to guard the sheep. And I know some of you have heard that because it's on the radio. I was just driving down the road a few months ago and heard it on the radio, same teaching. I'm like, there it is again, man. And I was just talking to someone recently. I was just talking to someone today, actually. A really awesome brother. He leads one of our live stream groups. In fact, I wasn't even going to bring this up because I wasn't thinking about it during my message. I didn't write it down as an illustration, but I was driving down the road and I, was, I called up a brother named Michael Backus. He leads a live stream group over there in uh, Washington. Really neat brother. I love the brother. If you're listening right now, Michael, we love you. You're watching. Praise God for you. I had a great talk. And uh, he said, Joe, have you ever heard of Bob George? I go, yeah, I've heard of Bob George. And he was talking about, in our conversation, how he got away from the Lord. He was drinking for like three years. That's Michael, you know. And then he got right with the Lord and got back. He was pastor's son. He's partying and stuff. Because he fell into this whole once saved, always saved doctrine, you know. And started living, wasn't living for the Lord. Be not deceived, drunk with not here at the kingdom of God. He was deceived for a while. And he said he learned from Bob George that you don't ever even have to ask for forgiveness anymore. He said, now I know that's a lie now, Joe. I said, no, I know Bob George's teaching. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Bob George teaches, no, you don't even have to ask for forgiveness anymore. Jesus says to pray the Lord, the, our Father who art in heaven. Part of that prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You not only need to pray for forgiveness, but you also need to make sure you're forgiving other people or you won't be forgiven, Jesus goes on to say, amen. This is serious stuff. And I shared with him, I go, yeah, Bob George actually... And correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, because I think it was when you were in Texas and you came and became part of Blessed Hope. So he goes, yeah, when I was in Texas, that guy was arrested. Popular teacher wrote a book called Classic Christianity. He was on the radio. He was arrested for picking up a prostitute. You know, Steve had shared that with me. I looked it up later on the internet. You know, it's total reality. Well, and, and I, I, I said, bad doctrine leads to bad living. And he goes, yeah, well, it figures. He's probably thinking, oh, I, don't, I can see prostitutes. I'm already forgiven. It's a lie for the pit of hell. And what happens, a lot of people aren't being true disciples. And they're on the broad road that leads to destruction while they think they're saved. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. We need to make sure that we're living a holy life, that we're living for Jesus, amen, that he's first in our lives, that we're not messing around, that we're not saying, okay, Lord, you know what? I'll go to church and stuff, but I can live this secret, wicked life 
I could be involved in sexual perversion and be involved in pornography and I can hate on people and gossip about them and say wicked things about them and be filled with anger and refuse to forgive and, and get drunk and, and, and chase women or chase guys or whatever. And I could just you know, be involved in all this. I could take things that don't belong to me. I could be this. But praise God, I go to church on Sunday and guess what? Because I say I love Jesus. Everything's good between me and God. No, you're deceived, man. I love you. But you have to repent for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if anyone be in, new, in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things have become new. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean that you're following Jesus. Amen? It does mean that Jesus is first in your life. It does mean that you're taking up your cross and you're following him and you're on the straight and narrow road. And it means if you fall short of God's glory, that you say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm sorry from the heart. Please forgive me. And he cleanses you from that sin. And then he strengthens you and gives you strength and power to overcome sin and not live a life of sin and of enslavement to sin, but live a life of service and enslavement to Jesus and righteousness. Amen? What does it mean to take up our crosses? It means to die to self and selfish, wicked desires. To say no to the wicked way of life and the flesh. Listen to some of these verses, guys. Let these speak to our hearts. Let God's word penetrate you. Colossians 2.20 says, If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Galatians 5.24, All those who, uh, live, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.24 those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his affections and desires. What does it mean? It means if you're in Christ, you've crucified, you put on the cross, man. You've said no to those selfish, wicked desires. You say, that's not me anymore. That's the old man. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his affections and desires. I love that because it makes it so clear. Galatians, Galatians 5.24. Just amazing. Uh, Galatians 5.16. But, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, man. Romans 6.6, Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm not in love with sin anymore. That was my old man, and he's been crucified with Christ because I've taken up my cross, denied that old man, and I follow Jesus. Amen? Romans 6.16. I'm sorry, 6.13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead, for you were dead, but now you, now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Romans 8, 12, and 13. We're not dead to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do crucify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means to crucify the wicked deeds of the flesh, the old man, and say, no, I'm not living that life anymore. And I told this story a long time ago, but it was powerful. Little quick little illustration. I was teaching through Romans chapter 6. And I said, Lord, I really want to understand more what it means to consider the old man dead, to count that old man dead. Please help me get my brain around that more so I can explain it for my brothers and sisters so they could better grasp what's going on there. Because the Greek word means that to count a dead. In the Greek, I was reading that Greek word means to be basically put out of commission. But you're reckoning it dead. You're putting out of commission. And I had a crazy dream that night. I really felt the Lord was giving me insight into that verse. It wasn't any new revelation. It just crystallized in my mind. And I saw in my dream, there was my wife and she was laying there in like a coma. And it was old Lisa before she got saved. She was a partier, man. She went to AA, honestly, CA and NA before she got out and got her BA. Maybe it was before that. I don't know. Whenever. And I just threw that in there. She had to get her BA in, in, a, in business, I think. Yeah. Anyway, she was into all that, but, but it was her old person. She's part of the Now group. She'd go to Now on, at Moore Park. Is it Now University, Moore Park College? You know, with her mom, you know, 
Her mom kind of lived through Lisa's party life a little bit vicariously. And I'm looking at Lisa, but she's standing next to me. And it's her old person. And she's there, but she's dead, but she's not. She's breathing still. She's just not active. And her mom says, let's wake her up. And I'm like, looking at Lisa, I'm like, and her mom, I'm like, no, I don't want the old Lisa, you know. You should, the old Lisa, man, let me tell you. No, I'm just kidding, I won't tell you. But, you know, I didn't want the old Lisa to wake up. So when we count the old person dead, we're keeping that old person that we used to have, we're keeping the, the sword of the spirit out of his neck. No, you're not getting up. I'm not letting you reign in my life. You're dead. I'm keeping you on the cross, amen. And I'm living for Jesus, Amen. That's what we do. We, we take up our crosses. We deny our old self. We live for Jesus. In fact, Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Look what Paul says. I love this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Don't walk how the world walks the futility of their mind, the emptiness of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. That's the world system, right? And they, having become callous, have hit, given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside. See what it says? You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. You don't wake that old man up. You keep him dead, man. Verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and put on the what? The new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen? Therefore, laid aside, you know, falsehood. Speak truth, right? Each one to his neighbor for your members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give, uh, and do not give the devil an opportunity and so forth. So we put off the old self and we say, no, I don't live that way. We put on the new self, which is we become more and more like Jesus. We're remade in the image of Christ according to truth and righteousness. His word, right? And walking in the spirit according to what his word says in the righteousness of Christ. Let's uh, look at verses 28 through 32. For which one of you then, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with the 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus is saying, I believe, we must count the cost and say, am I truly going to follow Christ or not? Like the man who is going to build a tower, he has to count the cost. And before he commits himself to actually do that, we must count the cost. Say, am I willing to truly follow Jesus and be his disciple? We have to consider that. Am I really like the, the general or what have you? Am I going to count the cost and make sure that I'm going to carry through with my commitment? Because Jesus doesn't want a lot of phonies that say, I don't really want to be his disciple and follow him, but I'm just going to say he's my savior and live a wicked life. No, he doesn't want that. It's all or nothing. You either say, Jesus, I belong to you, or you don't. You can't have half a Jesus and give him half your life. Amen? We need to be sincere Verse 33. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not what? Give up all of his possessions. Wow. If you in your heart say, you know what, Lord, I give you this part of my life, but you can't have this. Now it's like, wait a minute, man. What does he mean by all? Some will say, well, that means you've got to sell everything and be penniless and just live on the mission field. No, I can show you many places in Scripture. They met at other believers' homes and, and so forth, and they shared things and had things in common. It was quite beautiful. And the Christians there did deny themselves, though, and they helped the needs of others. 
even when it hurt them, they hurt themselves in doing so sometimes, it would seem, with, as far as material goods, and we need to be more selfless like that. But you need to, can you, and this, you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, Peter went to his, you know, Peter's house, you know, or his mother-in-law, or I can show you in Scripture where, you know, in the early church fathers and elsewhere, they're not, it's not all the, all the believers weren't homeless at all, okay? But you can't cast aside this verse and say, oh, it doesn't have any meaning. No, it has a lot of meaning. Because the scriptures say it's men of corrupt mind, deprived of the truth, who teach that godliness is the means of financial gain. You have a form of Christianity right now that makes the Lord want to vomit. It's repugnant, which teaches that Christianity is about getting rich and living for this world. Amen? And that's false. Jesus says, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. You can't serve God and money. Jesus has to be first in your life. Amen? It's so important. So, you know, whether... Now, obviously, he says that we're supposed to work with our hands so we can share with others. Okay? It's not wrong to bless people. The Lord says, be content with food and covering. Amen? So he expects you to say, well, yeah, I gave away all my clothes to the homeless, so I'm naked now. Joe, I can't come to church. No, you can have clothes. You can have a home. But don't live for those things. How do I know if I'm living for those things? I'm going to ask you a question. If Jesus said to you, give up everything you own right now and live in the, on a mission field in a tent, would you do it? If you say yes, you're a disciple of his. If you can say yes from the heart, yes, I would do that. If he told me right now, you're going to move to India or to Africa or China, you're going to be even persecuted there, but I want you to do that, and you're not going to have anything. You're just going to, I'm going to give you a tent for covering. And you could say, yeah, I would sincerely do that if I knew that's what Jesus was telling me to do. Praise God, then you're a disciple. If you say no, no, I have a line. I'm drawing the sand. I'm not giving up certain things for Jesus. Well, then you're putting things before Jesus, and you're not truly being a disciple. I just got to be honest with you. You need to get to the point where you're truly surrendered to Jesus. There's Tommy, man. He's behind that pole. And I know he loves the truth, so I know you're not hiding, bro. Praise God. Excited for you guys getting married pretty soon. Amen. So verse uh, 34, the end of this passage now, 34 and 35. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has becomes tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So, Jesus sometimes addresses those who aren't sincere from the very beginning. I never knew you. But he also addresses those who are sincere initially, like those who are salt, but become tasteless and lose their flavor, backslide. So you have a lot of warnings in Scripture. You know, in Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord. First, let me bid farewell to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. You can't say, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus, for a while, but then I'm going to go back. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to be uh, taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He's talking about that race again. Amen. In Luke 17, verse 31, Jesus says, On that day, let no one on the housetop come down to retrieve his possessions. Likewise, let no one in the field return for anything that is left behind. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it or preserve it. Amen. Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, He that endures the end will be what? Will be what? Will be saved. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's so worth it to be a true follower of Jesus. I close with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Wow! They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Could you do that? If they came and took your property away from you, could you rejoice? If Jesus is first, you can. If he's second to your property, you can't. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. 
knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. They could accept losing their homes because they knew that they have a better possession to have. That's how real their faith is. That's how real he wants our faith to be. Amen? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Amen? Do not lose your flavor. Salt, their salt in those days often was mixed with other sediments. So you'd, you'd call salt a whole rock, a, a mixture of salt and other things. But eventually some of that, that salt would get kind of washed away. You just have the other sediments. And it was like tasteless. It wasn't any good anymore. And they just cast it in the manure pile. They trample it underfoot. Make sure you're salty, amen. Make sure you're filled with Jesus, amen. And keep your eyes on him until that final day, amen, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, amen. Father God, we love you so much, and we pray